Hello and welcome to Biology Career Insights, the podcast where we talk with experts from the field of biology to gain valuable insights into the careers and explore ways to navigate the job market in this ever-evolving field. I'm your host, Dr. Manish Kumar. Today, we have a remarkable guest, Dr. Philip Basker, the co-founder and CEO of Nanotamper. He's a visionary leader in the biotech world dedicated to revolutionizing disease treatment through biophysical and artificial intelligence-based tools. Despite humble beginnings in a Bavarian village, Philip's journey led to him to found Nanotemper, a global biotech company. His passions include developing cutting-edge tools for disease like cancer and Alzheimer's, promoting global innovation and championing democracy and equality. Philip's jest for life extends to his love for people learning, and the beauty of life's detail. He enjoys running, swimming, soccer, and science fiction, and he's even learning to surf. Academically, Philip earned his diploma in biophysics from the University of Beirut in 2005, setting the stage for his remarkable career. In 2008, he co-founded Nanotemper Technologies GmbH alongside Stefan Dur, a company that has since made waves in the biotech world. Philip continued to shine academically, receiving his doctorate in biophysics from the Ludwigs Maximilian University in Munich in 2010. His accolades include being named one of Germany's top talents under 40, receiving prestigious awards and earning his doctorate in biophysics. We're truly honored to have Dr. Baske on our podcast today. Welcome to the BCI podcast, Philip, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tulin Manish. I'm very happy to be here with you and I'm looking forward to our conversation. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So let's dive in straight away. What inspired you to be a scientist and entrepreneur and how did you get started in the field? It's a very, let's say, personal inspiration. So uh, my master had uh, breast cancer. Also my youngest uncle died because of breast cancer. One of my good friends died very young with breast with cancer. So uh, as my family suffers so strongly from cancer, I am very afraid of cancer. But the other thing is also, I don't want to be a victim of the fate. And the one thing is, uh, my mother has been saved by a drug is called Trastuzumab Herceptin. It's a monoclonal antibody, so it's a biotech drug developed by Roche. And this inspired me to enter the biotech field, the biophysics field. And one thinking was, okay, I want to do something. I don't want to be a victim of fate. What can I do? Can I develop a known drug? And you all know how the, how difficult it is to develop a drug. Absolutely. If you're very, very lucky, you can develop one single drug in your whole lifetime. So I was thinking, what can I do? And then I came to the idea uh, about tools for scientists. How about helping scientists, a lot of scientists, to develop drugs? And so that's what we do now. We have now more than 20,000 scientists using our tools to develop drugs, also drugs against cancer, but also against uh, diseases like Alzheimer. And I think this is really a big leverage. So we really have an impact as we have 20,000 scientists to be rock stars, to be heroes, and to develop new drugs. So I hope we develop them quick enough for, for me. Amazing, amazing. So you were driven by, a, say, a personal purpose, right? So you encountered uh, such 
say accidents you know in your family and then that inspired you that's that's you know that that is a purpose driven life so tell us more about your educational background and you know uh, also tell like when was the switch like when you got interested in pursuing biology as a career when was that yeah even as a kid i was always interested in biology in enemy in animals i i grew up on a farm you know, there was a, in a small village on the countryside in Bavaria. So there was, was always nature around me. Mm-hmm. The thing was, my, my teachers in school, the biology and chemistry teachers, they were really bad. So not at least not my way of learning. But in physics and math, I had good teachers and some talent for, for, matter, for math and physics. And because of this, I ended for six because it was just mine, my talent. But I always have had an interest and still have an interest in nature and biology. So it comes from very, very early times. Wow. So, I mean, when you say you completed your abitur, that's, uh, you know, the plus two in uh, Germany, uh, you had a choice to study many subjects. Why did you choose, say, biophysics? In the, in the very beginning, I didn't choose physics. So mm-hmm. indeed, I started my studies in 2000. There was this IT book. Mm-hmm. So I, I, as my parents had no idea, and also me not, what can you do with physics? Will it be a job? I mean, I came from a blue corner family, so you need a job. Absolutely. And, yeah. and if your mother works in a kindergarten, you can't imagine what you do with physics. Maybe become a teacher. So I started to. I started to study software development IT. Mm-hmm. And during the studies, when I had my first lecture on physics at university, I said, no, it's IT, software development, it's not my way. <laughs> the zero and ones are fine, but I'm much more interested in nature. Mm-hmm. And then I quit studying software development, studying informatics, and showing physics. And there was no biophysics at this time at University of Bayreuth. Mm-hmm. It was called technical physics, also closer engineering. You know, you can find a job. Engineers get a job very important at this time. But then uh, new, two new professors joined the university, and there was the opportunity to do something new, to study this new thing called biophysics. Very new at this time in Germany. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I am interested in biology. It's still close to engineering. Let's go for biophysics. Wow. So that's that's an interesting story. And uh, yeah, tell us, Philip, you know, while studying, when did you think about entrepreneurship or when did that entrepreneurship bug bite you? You know, like when did you think about starting something of your own? I think I've always been an, an entrepreneur. I always have this thinking in my mind, what can I do with something? And somehow I think entrepreneurship is a lot of taking opportunities. And after my my diploma thesis, I had the opportunity to join a lab in, in Göttingen mm-hmm. or a lab in in in, uh, in Munich. The lab in, in Munich was it was Dieter Braun, young scientist, and topic was origin of life. Wow. Very philosophic question. So I said, okay, well, origin of life. That's super cool. Let's do it. The other option was uh, in Göttingen was Stefan Hell. Mm-hmm. And it hadn't picked Stefan Hell. He, he later got the Nobel Prize for microscopy. 
Yeah, never ask me for any career advice. <laughs> I have strange choices, but for me, origin of life was just more interesting mm -hmm. than setting up a, a stat microscope. But in, in Munich, it's a chair of of, of uh, Hermann Gauck, where, where Dieter Brown's group was. There were a lot of startups. Mm -hmm. There was also nanotechnology and EBT and Adocube. And so we had some kind of startup entrepreneurial spirit, spirit at this university. And so somehow I got into this community, into this network. And then my mother got cancer in 2006. Oh. And then my whole thing into this direction was triggered then during my PhD. And it's, it's here that you met Stefan Durr. Or, so tell us about that story, you know, tell us uh, the, you know, the beginning of Nanotemper. How did it, it all happen? Yeah. It was also some kind of strange or at least funny. So still for me, we work in the same lab, in the same group. Mm -hmm. But our supervisor was really about everyone should work on a, on his own project. No teamwork. Because to maximize the output, mm -hmm. applications with it's best only two hours. So we had separate projects. Stefan, being a biochemist, worked on a physical topic. I'm coming from physics, worked on a biochemical topic. Wow. And since there was this one day where the whole chair was skiing in the Alps, in the mountains, there were all the people in the lab, in the whole building, went for skiing mm -hmm. with the professors. And then, but Steph and me, we stayed in the lab and say so we did our own project. And we, we did a, a whole day, maybe 20 hours of measurements. And then from this 20 hours, we had our first publication together. And so that's how we started to work together. Our professor was not so happy about it. As you know, teamwork, only one publication for three people, Stefan, me, and, and him. Mm -hmm. But this is how we how we started to work together, and then we kept on working. Wow! And so, so you never knew Stefan before the lab, right? Like it was, it was at the you know at the lab that you first met him, and then that's how it happened. Yep. Wow! So that that that's great. So you know when you discover something, or when you kind of uh, have a publication in the university, the university also takes a lot of you know. Uh, not only pride, but equity from that research, you know? So how did you go about starting Nanotemper? Tell us, you know, how, how it all evolved now. Yeah, we had this opportunity to join from the entrepreneurial center of the university. There were some students who had a course on a, how to write a business plan. Mm -hmm. And at this time, you know, we, we both were aware of that we are not good scientists. We don't want to stay in science. We want to do something else. Mm -hmm. And we thought it's a good opportunity to write a patent to show that we can do some technical stuff. Mm -hmm. So I wrote an email to my network saying, okay, I want to write a patent as someone of you experience in it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I got an email back from Lars. He told me, no, I don't have any experience with this patent. But you know, I'm taking care of some economic students writing a business plan. 
do I want to join our business plan sessions? Said, oh, wow, business plan is even better than just a patent. So we did it. And then we, we, we used the business plan we wrote to go to some unique business plan competition. And we made third place. And then we got a lot of good feedback, especially from a guy from a Ross who told us there might be potential in what we described about our one-day measurement technologies we did by the others for skiing. And so this is how the whole thing started. Wow. Wow. So for the, for the audience, I uh, must say that, you know, Nanotemper is bootstrapped company and we all know that. And, uh, <laughs> and Philip, that, you know, and you come from a very humble background and I assume Stefan too. So, you know, <laughs> How did you go about raising capitals? You know, please enlighten us, you know, because, yeah, if neither of you are very rich, how did the capital came? Yeah, it didn't came. So we tried to get it, but it was in 2008 and there was this financial crisis after Lehman Brothers failed. Absolutely. Yeah. So we were walking around going also to venture capital, but they didn't want to give us any money. I think we explained our technology not good enough. We just tried them all and no one said yes. But it's no also, one. I think, Philip, it's also about the timing in the venture world, right? Like, because especially if it's 2008, crisis happening, you know, nobody, it's it's a cycle, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But this was really good luck that we didn't get any venture capital money. Yeah. So what we did is we, we, we wrote a governmental grant application. Mm -hmm. or some very scientific basic stuff to develop our product. So we got it more or less granted. Only one thing missing, we needed our own financial measures to counterfinance it. Mm -hmm. So we had to find it. We had a deadline in autumn 2008. There was a deadline running. So we, had, we had to find a lot of money for it to counterfinance this governmental grant. And somehow it was difficult to find it was not a lot of money, but we didn't have it. The family was not rich and it was far too much for us. And then this also, we just put ourselves into places where we could meet people. And there was a thing, it's the Deutsche Museum in Munich, mm -hmm. big technical museum. And there was some, it was called Nano Days, where scientists were allowed to show the setup. Mm -hmm. We showed a setup and then Volker Hofmann came by. He's a salesmate entrepreneur from the German Wirtschaftswunder. He was selling cigarettes and then building his old real estate empire in Munich. And he stopped by and he was very interested in biotech because one of his sons has diabetes. Oh. Mm -hmm. And then he invested in us for the counterfinancing of the ground. It was not to the last minute, but to the last day. Wow. And since we got this money, and this is the old money we got, and we needed. And we, we paid his stocks back in 2020 during the pandemic because it was already 80s there. And now Stesami fully owns the business. Amazing. Amazing. So that's also like a bit of a luck, right? So you kind of met the right person at the very right time, you know, because you said it's the last day, right? So wow. Yeah. That's, that is so amazing. You know, so f for the audience also now, tell us about Nanotemper. What Nanotemper does and what was the idea? You know, please tell us about the technology. Yeah. What we do is uh, we make the invisible visible. 
and we make it visible to drugs that are undruggable. And I think all of you know aspirin, the drug against a headache, especially after a good party at university. And this is a chemical drug. And chemical drug, you know, with, with cancers, with chemotherapies, with chemical drugs, with also side effects, they're not good enough anymore. We need some new things. And these chemical drugs are very simple. I mean, aspirin, it's a small molecule, there's a complexity of a bike. Mm -hmm. When you look at these new antibody drugs, these biologics, they're much more complex. If aspirin is a bike, an antibody is something like an airplane, like mm -hmm. a Trumbo set. Really high complexity, but still very, very small, only a few nanometers. So you can't see it, even not with a microscope. But you have to understand it. Absolutely. You have to measure the interactions, you have to measure the 3D structure, it's holding, exaggeration, all these things. Mm -hmm. But you are not allowed to touch it. You can't see it, it's, it's below the diffraction limit of light. So you have to make the invisible visible to somehow be able to develop something to improve it. And so that's what we do. We, we shoot bottles on the sample with a drug and get changes in, in, in fluorescent signal, in static scattering, in dynamic light scattering, in absorption, in back reflection, and all these things, very abstract things. And then we do a lot of, let's call it magic. You can also call it data science. Mm -hmm. We process this data. We do the right positive and negative experiments for it. And then we have an outcome. Wow. Mm -hmm. and, and our thing is, so it sounds impossible and it sounds difficult. And I think you want those biophysical setups, a lot of buttons. You can't understand it. And our thing is to make it usable. So it's, it's a very robust, instrument is plug and play and this is all of our idea you know i said in the beginning what motivated me is that i want to add scientists to develop drugs and this is what our instrument should have to spend all your time in developing drugs for example if you say we, we have a usability is good and we improve it so that the scientist saves one hour per week it's, and you have 15 weeks a year, you save one hour per week, and we have 20,000 scientists using our instruments already, so we save one million hours. Wow. So that's like by improving the usability by one hour. So it's, it's huge. Huge? Absolutely. Wow. So you said it's like, you know, it's already used by 20,000 scientists, say, across the world. So how was, you know... Tell us the challenges of scaling up the company, you know, because I understand that, you know, starting a company is one thing and scaling up the company is another. So how did you go about it? We, we try to get a lot, lot of advice. So we, we try to find people, other entrepreneurs, other founders who have been through the same stages of scaling up the company to learn from them. And then also, I mean, they're also very strong people, and I can remember once there was a very famous German serial entrepreneur founded very big German biotech companies, and we asked him for advice, and it was in the very beginning, and he was willing to meet with us. Wow. He was already rich, so we met in a, an expensive hotel in Munich, Hotel de Filiade Seiten, 
spoken. And he was sitting in front of a fireplace there on a chair, really, literally a little bit elevated one. And he was listening to what we say. And so he told us, you will fail. Oh my God. Yeah. And we said, oh, wow, this entrepreneur, this, I mean, he was more than the Elon Musk of German biotech. Wow. Told us, you will fail. And he told us, you will fail because what you try, I already tried and I failed. Yeah, but we were so convinced that it will work that we've moved on. And I think so there's one advice I can give. Listen to everyone, but do your own thing. That's that's a great advice, Philip. And you know, I, I, I mean, that needs another level of conviction in your idea, you know, because somebody who is so successful, somebody who has tried that idea, if he advises you and says that, you know, you will fail, that's so disheartening, you know. And... Um, I'm like so, so inspired by you that, you know, kind of in spite of all these odds, you and Stefan, you both like stick to your plans and then, you know, made uh, NanoTemper a global company. Uh, so tell us more about these stories, you know, your, your, your challenges and, you know, your success stories. Tell us more about these uh, incidents. Yeah, that's. Yeah, so what we do is we make the invisible visible. So it's kind of sounds it's impossible. So you have show people that it works. And when you're a young student, you have no proof. So you somehow have to build trust. So you have to demonstrate your setups, what you do, your technology to others. And it's really all about trust because if you are the only one who can do something, there are no other methods to prove it. Absolutely. So it's all about building trust. And what we had there was also, our first customer was, I think it was customer 30 or try 31. We tried 30 times. We failed 30 times. And when we tried the 30 first time, this company told us, well, we have here, it was, it has been kinases. Mm -hmm. And we, so when, when, when you measure these, it was four or five more molecules we have, we have their X-ray, we have the 3D structure, we know what they do. If you can measure those and get the good, the right results, we will buy your device. And I can re remember when we measured it was uh, in 2009, 23rd December 2009. We really measured us because next day is Christmas in, in Bavaria. So we wanted to go out of the lab and visit our parents. So we, we really worked hard. We got results. We sent it to them. We went for Christmas. And after Christmas, they told us your results were good. We buy your device. Wow. And this was, uh, just to interrupt, Philip, this was when NanoTemper was really small, like you had no employees or was it already like you had some employees? We were six people. Six people. So very, very small. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's inspiring. So that gave you a boost. Okay, and when was that, you know, tell us about the scale-up journey. So then, yeah, you had one success and then how it happened, yeah. Now we we proved what we did on an experimental setup. We didn't have the product we sold yet. So we got some money from this company from Greylox and from this money we bought the parts of the of the product. Wow. Then we built the product with this, we delivered it, we installed it, we got the rest of the money. And with this money, we, we bought the 
parts for the next two devices. So this is like really profitable. Wow, this is like you get. So it was the company was profitable from day one. Yeah. Oh wow. So unlike the companies that you know is built being built up now, right? Like because I heard you have to make huge amount of losses to be profitable one day. I, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And it was the old days. There was not so much money around. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a typical also German way to start small, to move forward in, in, in small steps from device to device, be profitable from the very beginning, really take care of the money, keep the costs under control, don't spend some money, live in very low condition, and since put everything you have, all your energy, all your money, everything in your company, to grow it. Wow. I think that's the spirit. Mm -hmm. That is really, really words of wisdom. So, you know, to the to the broader scientific community, if you have to explain what nanotemper does to somebody who has never worked in, say, the biophysical arena or, say, does not make biologics, you know, then how would you go and explain about it? One thing is, the, let's say you want to find a new drug. It's mm -hmm. a, a drug against the growth factor in cancer. Mm -hmm. So you have this growth factor and you want to block it. Then we have, let's say, several substances where you think it could be a drug. Yeah, so you, are... and you have to test them against this, this uh, growth factor. Mm -hmm. So they have to block, to block it. And you already see that if you want to block it, you have to get in touch with it. Absolutely. So measure if these drug candidates get in touch with it. And if yes, which concentration, which doses you need. If you send a found, the drug candidate, a promising one, I already told you it's very complex. Absolutely. Yeah. It only works when it has a certain 3D structures like a fantasy origami. Mm -hmm. And then you also, you, we use different technologies to prove that it keeps the structure, that it has the one good structure. And we also send here helps the scientists to find an optimal formulation. I mean, it's, it's, it, it helps you nothing if the drug only works if you can freeze it the whole time in your minus 80 degree freezer. You also have to get it to the patient. So you have to find ways to stabilize it so that you can transport it to the doctor, can transport it under room temperature condition to the patient and and, and, and apply it through a needle. So we have to stabilize it. And so that's also what we do. So we have different products mm -hmm. in different parts of the value chain in a drug development. And this is also what what discriminates us from other startups. We are not limited to our own techno technology we started with. It's really about helping scientists. So we, we have a lot of technologies now mm -hmm. and we really try to understand what will help the scientists to develop new drugs, better drugs, quicker. And, and since we try to combine in the product, which is very robust, because I mean, you have to work with it. So the device has to work always the whole time. And so the way we put a lot of energy in. Absolutely. Wow. No. So, you know, now that, you know, your company is so successful and it is already, you know, a global company, Looking back, uh, Philip, if you see, you know, what were the major challenges that you like faced in your journey? 
that's mostly a personal thing. You know, your your company is growing, mm -hmm. and you, as a leader, you have to adapt. In the beginning, it was only Stefan and me, mm -hmm. and it was Stefan and me and our first employees in one single room, mm -hmm. where you get to know everything. You know everyone very well. So you everyone talking, and then you are in different rooms. So you have to think about communication. And then you are in different cities, then you're in different cities in different time zones with different cultures. We now have more than 33 cultures in our company. Wow. And we all have to understand each other. And you go to thrift through different phases and you always have to adapt. Mm -hmm. So it could be that the growth speed of the company is quicker than your own speed. And you need coaches, mentors, you have to adapt. Could also be the other way around that your growth speed is quicker than the speed of your company. So you get friction with your people and you always and you also have to adapt. Mm -hmm. You always realize that when the friction increases, everything is smooth and runs well, then you grow and then frictions are coming in. And this tells you you have to change. Absolutely. So that is yeah, that is one. I mean growth is a challenge but in a ple pleasant way, right? Like it's, I mean, you, of course, as a, as a, you know, as a parent of the company, you want it to grow. Of course you can adapt and there will be these growth challenges, but what were like, did you have to face some setbacks in the, in the, you know, in the journey? Why I want to ask you, because I know the entrepreneurial journey is never easy, you know, and you, you have to have a lot of perseverance. You showed that in the earlier days, but also in your good days, you know, when the company was growing, what were the setbacks or major challenges that you can remember now? I think as an entrepreneur, you fail quite often, you fail, you fail most of the time. You're just good in standing up. So the big thing was in 2019, where we hired too many people to quit. Then we, then the revenue was not coming. So we had to let go people. Mm -hmm. And it was also, I think it was in August 2019. I still, in, in the company, I think they still call it the Black Day or so. We had to let go 19 people, which was a lot at this time. And the thing was, okay, we let go everyone at just one or two days so that the rest can be sure that this firing period is over. Otherwise, people are afraid. And this is the thing, I mean, Everyone can hire, but the tough decisions, the good decisions, is when you really make the hard ones like let go people yeah. and always pay a high price for it. It was two months of sleepless night thinking, okay, who should go? We had to let a lot of people go, but it was our peoples. We had a long turn with them, but we have to protect the company, our baby. It's really about letting go 19 to protect 150. And those are really, really hard decisions. But one has to make those decisions, right? Yeah, you have. You have. Wow. So, yeah, I can, I can just imagine, you know, you're, and you're a very empathetic person, in, and, you know, and if you have to let go your own people, it can be very challenging, absolutely, you know. So, and you know, of course you will have all these challenges and how do you overcome these challenges, you know, and what, what would be, say, your advice to other entrepreneurs, you know, you have to deal with challenges. 
Now, one thing is you, you, you do a decision and until you see a result, it takes a long time. So it's tough to, because if you don't get direct, timely feedback. So when you get some feedback, what I do is I go to the customers, I visit the customers, uh-huh. and I talk with them and I watch how they use our devices. And when I see that they have bright eyes, the lights, fire in their eyes using our instrument, I know we do something right. And this is where I'm getting the energy from. It's from, from our customers when I see that our devices are not just standing around and no one uses them, no, they are used. And since they also give me honest feedback, how we can improve it. Because it, it, if you give them, if they give you advice how to improve it, it really means they care. They would not give you advice how to improve it if they don't want to use it. Mm-hmm. So it's really going out to the customer and really see and experience what your products do for them. If they really generate value for them and helps them. No, that's a, that's a very good advice. And uh, yeah, moving forward, uh, Philip. So, what are the say key skills and qualities that makes a successful entrepreneur? You know, from your journey, can you highlight those skills and say qualities? See, over time, we develop a, a good and healthy gut feeling mm-hmm. because you have to be aware that you are in your brain only around ten to twenty percent of inf- information you have were really aware of. Mm-hmm. The rest is, is somehow processed in a not so explicit way. So you can really trust your gut's feeling. You have to be honest mm-hmm. and you have to walk the talk. People have to trust you. And the thing is really, if you're alone, you can't do a lot. It's the other people who are your leverage. So it's really about hiring people who are better than you. And this sounds very easy. You know, you read a lot of quotes about it. But if you work at something and then you hire someone who is much better than you and you see how much better he does the thing and how much quicker she is, it's hard to see. And some people have problems working together with people who are better because they're afraid of them. Yeah, they they have their own insecurities or, you know, you have to kill your ego and stuff like that. So yep. that that's, yeah, that's more difficult to practice than to, you know, as you said about the quotes. Yeah, reading quotes is fine, but practicing it is a challenge, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is always and every time. Wow. And any other qualities that, you know, like perseverance, for example, you know, that you have showcased yourself. So any other things that you would say um, is... A must in an entrepreneur, according to you. I would say a good listener. You have to get a lot of advice. Mm-hmm. But somehow, and you get a lot of advice, which puts you in a different direction. So you have to listen to everyone, but, but stay with your own course. And you have to take risks. I mean, when you come with a technology, in our case from university, you come with technology and with products. And the technology gives you 1,000 possibilities what you can do. Absolutely. But you can't do them all at once. So you have to take the risk not to do 999 things, but focus only on one. And this is where a lot of people struggle. They don't take the risk to, to just do one thing. And by not taking the risk, they risk everything. Absolutely. So prioritizing, you know. 
and that narrowing down of this is so so important yeah absolutely great so tell us uh, philip about you know the most exciting developments in your field right now and uh, how do you see the future of biotech especially in the you know german context or the european context yeah i'm very excited about uh, still very excited about the mrna technology for proof so 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 valuable during the pandemic I mean, what, what we can do now is we can code life. It's really about bringing a code into a cell and code for a protein and the cell builds the protein you code it for. Wow. And this will be, for me, it's a, it's a singularity. It's really a start of a new thing. I mean, you can do now, you have to solve the drug delivery problem. It's all about having something like a vector a transportation vehicle where you can put in mRNA or DNA or whatever. There's something on its outside, maybe an antibody to target a certain cell. And then you can really, it's about engineering life. So it's, I mean, we, we read it and hear a lot about AI, but AI will be a tool for biotech. And we can really, we will see great things in the future when we really understand that and make it scalable with engineering tools. We will have a tool set of biotech tools we can put together and really engineer things because we will absolutely understand what we do. So I think everyone who is young now, the next uh, 30 years, I, I see a golden age of biotech coming. Amazing, amazing. And you see AI playing a major role in the future of biotech, right? Yeah, it's a tool like this information. We should just use it for us, not be a big fanboys or whatever, or only do AI. It's a tool. Yes. And, and life, code of life, life is the processing of information. And AI will, will help us to do so. I mean, you see this uh, alpha forward from deep mind is already a cool thing. We can predict structures. And this allows you to measure it quicker and to develop drugs quicker. We will see a lot more of these tools, tools for scientists to focus on their creativity. You don't have to, to do boring things. Say, I can do it for you. You can really focus on creativity and develop the cool drugs. So you're mentioning about, you know, the future of uh, biotech being you know, golden and stuff like that. And I'm really excited about it. However, when I see the, say, the entrepreneurial ecosystem and compare it with the U.S., you know, North American uh, entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem, I think we are much more lagging behind here, right, in Europe. Because I think in North America, it's already matured. You know, the funding is easy to get and the ecosystem is more mature. So what is your advice to improve, say, the startup or the, you know, the entrepreneurial ecosystem in, say, Germany and in Europe? Well, when it's in money, it's more or less ticketed now, so it means it can move. Absolutely. What we see is we see money from the USA moving to Europe because money is looking for good ideas. There's much more money than good ideas, so ideas are limiting. So you just have to put yourself in a situation where the money can find you. And you have to be aware of the of the different culture of of US style venture capital, but they are looking for you. They are looking for the good ideas for the entrepreneurs. In the global world, will even be bigger. So 
with also Asian countries coming in and also Africa. And capital can move and it will move. And you can stay where you are. You can also visit the USA and it will find you and it will invest in you. And yeah, that that kind of, you know, uh, makes me ask you another question. So what should an entrepreneur do? You know, because most of the entrepreneurs that I talked to, they were always limited by, you know, uh, this, uh, the capital raising is a big challenge for them, you know, raising capital. Yeah. So what would be your advice to these entrepreneurs? You know, How to find good investors? You have to be really aware of, of, of what you want and tell them, make a plan and tell them what you want. Mm-hmm. Because they don't understand your business or your, your technical business. They are also, it's called venture capital, but they are somewhat still afraid of, of risks. So you have to de-risk it for them. So have them have to give them the feelings that you really do understand what you do and make it simple for them. They don't understand such scientific things. You really have to tell them, okay, so this is what I can do. So this is what I will do with your money. And so they will again get back and I know what I do. And I can also explain it to you in simple words. I can also excite you with my storytelling. And you also have to excite them because they have to believe you. They have to trust you. And and if they don't understand your scientific details, they will not invest because they are afraid, because they don't understand you. So you have to learn to adapt to them. If you need some money, you have to adapt to, to what they can understand. Absolutely. And you said the right thing that you have to de-risk it for them, right? Although they are venture capitalists, but they they are not like taking so much risk, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. So, you know, another question, you know, similar to this line. So what advice would you give to say young biology students, you know, who are considering say a career in biotech entrepreneurship and what are the most important things that they should keep in mind as they pursue this path? And if you're a student, you're young, you're, you're dynamic, you can just do it. And one thing is you have to move out from the scientific and development mindset. It's all about product and selling. If you found a company, it's about earning money. And I have three advices for, for you. It's the first one is sell. The second one is sell. And third one is sell. Oh, wow. It's all about they stop to develop, go out, make a product and sell it. Wow, that's a, that's great advice. Sell, sell, and sell. Wow, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that that's amazing, Philip. So, you know, now that you are like you know successful, your company is a global company now. So, I would ask you, you know, so do you also invest in startups? And if yes, so for starting purposes, you know, for investing purposes, what are the key criteria that you evaluate the incoming ideas on? And is there any specific advice, again, in this direction that you give to, you know, people approaching you? Well, yes, I invest as a business angel mm-hmm. in one area. So I have defined two areas. One is the tools for drug development and they invest in optogenetics because, as, as you said, I love science fiction. And controlling biological systems with light is just science fiction for me, and I'm very interested in it. And the other one is I also invest into uh, antibiotics mm-hmm. because I think we, we will 
get big problems in the future with also the resistance against antibiotics. The, uh, for example, investing in a company in Vitris, they do bacteriophages against bacteria as an alternative to penicillin and the like. And I always look at the team. If they have a good team spirit, if they can, I mean, it's a, we, we, we talked about it. It's a really hard journey as an entrepreneur. And there will be tough times, there will be problems, and there will be fights inside the team because it's tough decisions. Absolutely. Or they have to have mechanisms in the team to deal with conflicts. Because there will be conflicts. And if the first conflict kills the team, the company is dead and the money is gone. So this is what I what I look at. So good team. And you know, like how one can approach you, Steve, uh, uh, Philip, you know, how can one approach you? And um, is there like, you know, is there like a business plan that you evaluate or how do you, you know, screen, screen? Because you would receive many inquiries, you know, as a yep. investor. So how do you screen? Yeah. I look at the technologies they have. I look at how far they are with the product. I look if they are... If they understand that selling, making money is an important thing as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Or if they are at least willing to listen to some advices, lots of things. Are they willing to listen? Or, or do they just move through the world like with closed eyes? So they have to be good listeners. And for the business plan, I've wrote enough by myself. I know how, how you make the numbers. So I don't look at the business plans. It's more about technology, product, and something like talk directly with the people. Wow. And it's a, it's it's mostly in areas where I where I know the market. Yeah, like you are restricted to, you know, say the antibiotic and these tools uh sector. But you yeah. you might be open to good ideas, say in any yeah. any yeah. biotech field, right? Great. And how can one reach, so people seeing this, you know, and the young entrepreneurs, you know, who would like to kind of uh, get in touch with, say, Philip, how they can get in touch with you? Yes, the easiest thing is via LinkedIn. Just uh, write me a PM via LinkedIn and I will read it. And I will I will put the LinkedIn profile link yeah. on the podcast so that they can reach out to you. Very good. Yeah. So, so Philip, also like, you know... Uh, Tell us about your hobbies. So when you do not do science, what else do you do? I like to travel around and to meet people. <laughs> I also go to another sport like running, swimming, biking, badminton, soccer. Wow. Also during my lunch breaks, I like to run and do some sports to put myself into a good spirit. Because when you when you have to do such tough decisions, we have to be fit to do them. Absolutely. So it's about making yourself, putting yourself in a state where you are fit enough and has the right mindset and spirit to do this hard decision. And, and the sports, especially at the house, I love to be in the nature, to be in the mountains. Even more, I love to be at the beach where, where I have an open space. You walk there, you run there, you do sports there, and you have this open space. The summer opens my my mind for the big ideas. Wow, that that's amazing. And you know, one question that I've been lately asking uh, many biotech entrepreneurs. You know, they all are. I mean, of course, anti aging enthusiasts. You know, they want to say be fit for you know increase their health span. 
So, you know, and many, many of these people, they take some supplements and stuff like that. So just asking for my own curiosity, do you take any supplements? Except red wine and beer? Yeah. Well, you know, I love to have uh, French and Italian food. I love to enjoy life and I'm more about, for me, it's uh, more about relaxing with my loved ones, having a good time. So this is my way of, of dealing with it and sitting in the evenings there with a good wine. Mm -hmm. That's cool, a cool life for me. So you don't take any external other supplements that many, many people these days are taking, right? To, oh, that's amazing to hear. Wow. Wow. So yeah, you know, Philip, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was such a pleasure to have your insights with us today. And yeah, I'll have to respect. I could go on and on, but I have to respect your time. <laughs> I have to respect your time. And to the audience, thank you for tuning to Biology Career Insights. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episode delivered straight to your device. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Philip. Bye. Thank you, thank you. Bye. Thank you thank so you. much. Bye. You're welcome.